1: Welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me this week, um, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? It's been a busy one, right? I mean, a lot of games, hence I'm not reading out all 18 results.
2: Yeah, I think we'd be sitting here tomorrow if you'd be reading out all the results. Yeah, it's been a busy week and a productive week, um, a fun week, I think, um, we've got lots of drama to talk about this week, so I'm really looking forward to it. Ham, um, how are you doing, Bryce?
1: Yeah, not too bad. It's it's good. We're going into the Christmas break, but we've got plenty to talk about, haven't we? It's going to be a, a rather full podcast, but I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm eh? um, joining Manu and myself, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, I'd imagine that you're rather happy with the state of the Bundesliga and who's top, but also the state of the uh, English Premier League as well, as who's top over Christmas for that as well?
3: Yeah, I am, Bryce. Very, very happy. Um, I don't know what day it is, though, because the fixtures are coming so thick and so fast in Germany and England. I have no idea what time it is, what day it is, which is why I had to apologise to um, everybody before we start too busy eating a bag of crisps. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah very honest chris very honest but um uh joining uh manu uh chris and myself for the first time on our podcast um uh, and hopefully not the last time either is a man that probably doesn't need any introduction um if you're into german football and especially if, uh, if you're online at all you should know who James Thorogood is James uh, welcome on the podcast uh, thank you for taking time out to join us uh, the final one before the winter break happens and just for anyone that's listening that doesn't know who you are i shame on you um, give us a little rundown of your background and what you do at the moment
4: Ah, it's, it's shame on no one. Firstly, I'll just say thanks for having me on. It is a pleasure. It has been a long time coming and I'm glad it's finally happened. Uh, well, my background, I've lived in Germany since the age of eight. Um, I've been a Bundesliga fan for most of that time as well. Uh, I'm now a commentator. I work on websites. I do a bit of everything. It's, it's silly to kind of list it all off. Um, but. I just live and breathe the Bundesliga. So weeks like this, where they do come thick and fast are the weeks that I genuinely live for as knackered as I am right now, because it is the end of a pretty strenuous time. Um, it's these are the, these are the weeks I live for and they have delivered uh, the games in the last couple of days as well. So that always makes life easier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it always helps if you work in a line of, of work that you enjoy eh? doing something fun. eh? but, um, Guys, let let's jump in. We're got we've got lots to talk about, haven't we? And I feel let's let's start with the top of the table and talk about Dortmund a little bit. Um Chris, uh, we'll go to you. Um six points clear at the top of the Bundesliga. It's, it's been a fantastic um first half of the season for them, hasn't it? Though if we're gonna review the last two match days, um they finally um fell to defeat, didn't they, against uh Düsseldorf. a little bit of a surprise. Well,
3: yeah, that, that um, defeat to Dusseldorf was a surprise. I don't think it's a surprise that they've been defeating, uh, defeated at some point. Very rare for a team to go throughout an entire season not losing a match, but I, I would have expected them to lose maybe when we come back after the winter pause. But um, when I did the, the thoughts back from the Dusseldorf game, I said Dortmund's title charge, title chance, it all now depends on how they bounce back from this defeat you know, does it put them on a bit of a spiral? Do they lose the next game? How do they respond to that? And they came out and they beat the team they needed to, um, which was glad. Back, I think if you're going to go off the back of a defeat, you probably don't want to play your closest challengers. And it was a, a fascinating game um, and one that, that they, they won in the end. I'm going to say maybe quite comfortably, but it could have been more Royce hits the um, post at the end with a fantastic free kick. But I think... The, what we're going to talk about is uh, is Jaden Sancho, and not just about his goal because it was phenomenal, but how crucial he is to this Dortmund side.
1: Yeah, James, um, how impressed have you been with uh, Sancho this first half of the season? I mean, he's he's really exploded onto the scene, hasn't he?
4: Oh, I mean, he absolutely has. He's been mesmeric at times in the current campaign, um, and he is just a player that I think, no matter who you are a fan of when you watch him play football, there's just a smile on your face. He has that ability to just make people delight in what he does. And he constantly expresses himself out on the pitch. Uh, His fleet-footed nature is wonderful. Now, the thing is, he's so young. And the question was whether he could sustain his trajectory so far, so good. Um, And I would say that there have been so many young wingers that have come through European circles in recent years. Of course, the most... Prominent of that is Cristiano Ronaldo. And if you remember when he broke onto the scene, there was a criticism of his decision-making and when to use his tricks. Now, Sancho does not seem to have that problem. And he's constantly making defenders guess right now. The question for me with Sancho, when will defenders catch up with him in terms of, his preferred moves and those types of things and then how will he adapt his game but right now he's on a fantastic trajectory and as Chris said his importance to this Dortmund side not just in his goals and assists but in the build-up play and just what he makes happen on and off the ball is crucial.
1: Yeah absolutely it's been a fantastic start for him and a great season so far for Dortmund uh, as well. Um, Manu it, it. we mentioned that you know the um the düsseldorf game obviously didn't go to plan for them but um as chris said it it's about bouncing back isn't it from that and uh, quite quite an achievement to beat uh, an impressive gladbach side um you know to go into the winter break
2: yeah um i thought it was, it was a very impressive result against gladbach and there's so much was so much was made of the fact that both gladbach and dortmund were playing this game Without their first choices and and centre back, right? And Dortmund had to put uh, Julian Weigel there. So, and I thought Julian Weigel was fantastic. Um, I don't have the exact number in my head, but I think it was ninety four point six percent of um, his passes were completed. He, um, they were very good. The one goal that they conceded, um, I think that's something that we actually need to discuss. Um, I thought should have been maybe chalked off. So almost perfect performance by Dortmund's defence, and. When I wrote the preview for this game on, on fußballstadt.com, I was actually pretty certain that they would win this game because I, I think that the way that Gladbach play plays into Dortmund's hands. And this 4-3-3, teams playing with four in the back, with um, three in midfield and three in attack, that just suits them better because it gives them more room in that middle third to just develop that, that power that they need to break opponents down. And then that's something that Fortuna Düsseldorf did so well, right? They didn't give them, they didn't give them that space, um, to really go on the attack. And I mean, Düsseldorf have been excellent on that now for a couple of occasions. And they took two points of Bayern in Munich. They took three points of Dortmund now. And I think, um, Gladbach was the perfect opponent to bounce back from an opponent like Düsseldorf that play similar to Bruges and Hannover right teams that Dortmund also really struggled with during this first half of the season to get back on track and to go into a winter break with three points in the back that are very important right that psychologically
1: yeah absolutely it's uh, James um, I mean m- Mario Götze, we've seen, has set up both goals uh, against Gladbach. Have a rather uh, convincing performance, you know. And he, he's had trouble times over the last few years with with injuries and that being in and out of the side. But you know, if he can stay fit to the end of the season, um, what, what type of um, what type of role can he possibly play for Dortmund? And how important is he? Well,
4: I think you used a very key word there, Bryce. In in terms of the word role, because that's it. He has realised now that his role in Dortmund in football circles is not to be the superstar anymore when you know the back of the World Cup goal that's looked like where he was going to end up in his career I think he has now realized that he can be of benefit to the team if he actually takes a step back and he isn't the superstar and he has been humbled by a lot of things that he's gone through in life and in his career since that World Cup winning goal um, that have led him to that part but I think what we're seeing here is that he's ready to prove himself again he's got uh, a role with Uh, Lucien Favre's system that he can play. And let's be honest, Paco Alcacer. it seems like he cannot prove that he's going to be able to be fit for back-to-back-to-back games, 90 minutes over a long stretch of time. So Götze is going to need to step in with valuable minutes. And what he is producing in those minutes right now is also a very big positive for Dortmund. Uh, And I think his influence on this game against Gladbach especially was a sign of the fact that Mario Götze may just be on his way back. And I think that's a wonderful thing. This season could be kind of his redemption season. And that would be a lovely story, I think.
2: Yeah, James, I yeah. actually thought that Götze was the player of the match in that game because he set up both goals. And I thought when he came on for Paco Alcazar, that was almost a blessing in disguise because um, he is, he, this season in particular, last few games under Favre, Favre's almost developed him to a holding striker. Someone who can take the ball with the back, back to the goal and then redistribute it and make, create a lot of room for the likes of Sancho and Royce. And in that game, he, he was very good. And for me, he was the player of the match and that reinvention by, I mean, that, that just shows how good of a coach Favre is, right? To identify that. And look, we can play Götze there. Um, lots of coaches have tried to play Götze as a number nine and Favre seems to be the first one to actually give him that role and it seems to work. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I agree. I think Favre
4: does deserve great credit. I mean, Love, you're right. Love tried it with the German national team, but I think Favre has built on what Gutzer learnt under Love and the national team, and he's brought it to a very new level. Um, and and that's the thing. Alcacer's a great player, but let's be honest, he's a goal getter. Gutsa brings a lot more to the build up play than I think Alcacer does, and I think that's a valuable asset for Favre to have at his disposal.
1: Yeah, that's it. Gutsa getting. Two assists in one game for the first time for Dortmund. since April 2013, so definitely a good day out for him. Chris, um, it, I mean, it's obviously been a fantastic first half of the season for Dortmund. Um, they now have their second highest tally in the Bundesliga after 17 games. But it, with the January transfer window coming up, I suppose the question is, is there an area that they maybe need to work on, need to bring somebody in? I mean, we talked about Weigl playing in defence do they need to bring a defender in what what way do you see it
3: i don't know if they go need to go out and do any uh, rush purchases i mean if you look at who they've got available to play at the back um you know zagadu is has been a bit of a miss um you know recently with uh, with his injury uh, Diallo it needs to come back at some point and um he will go into that center back role so i don't know if they need to go out and and do a a, a panic buy it is quite interesting though to read um, especially I think it came from the Belgian press, that they're they're interested in Thorgen Hazard from um, Gladbach because that would signify to me that at some point um, Christian Pulisic is on his way out. I think those two players are intrinsically linked um, and their futures are linked. So if that's going to be something that is sorted out in the winter window for the summer maybe, I could see that happening. Uh, right at the moment though, unless something really bad happens to the likes of Royce or or Alcacer over the winter window. I don't think they need to go out and panic by at all. I think they've got a really good, well-balanced squad. Um, We've chatted for the past couple of years on this podcast about how Dortmund had a very, very good, youthful side, especially under Thomas Tuchel. Um, um, but maybe they were overbalanced. They, you know, they had too many youth prospects. If you look now, they are a very young side, but they seem to have got the likes of Marco Royce is back to his best. Gots is 26. Um, you can even bring in Alcácer there, 25. He's hitting his prime. So they're not really reliant on the likes of Jaden Sanjo who I'm going to say will go through some sort of wobble this season. And that's only part of his natural development. It's then who they got in reserve to bring through. So if, um, If Sancho is to have any problem, they can almost at the minute drop someone like Larson or Pulisic in there, and and that's not been a problem for them. So I don't think they need to strengthen at the moment, but I think they will need to in the summer.
2: Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
1: Let's just see if they decide to to stick to that or not. Um, Manu, you wanted to talk a little bit about the goal that they conceded. um, This is Dortmund. um, The Christoph Kramer goal. I mean, he got a header, but it came off his own hand, didn't it? And it went in. But VAR um, should have ruled it out, but but the goal stood. I mean... We talked about VAR plenty on the podcast, but what did you make of this one? This, this is the type of thing VAR should be sorting out, is it not?
2: So I did a bit of digging on this and, um, the, the Bundesliga is the only league where a goal like that would have stood. Um, in England and Chris, I'm really curious to hear your general opinion on this because I know, um, we discussed VAR plenty. Um, but in England, this goal apparently wouldn't have not have stood because, um, every goal in England gets chalked off if any, if, if there's any handball, it doesn't matter if it's natural or not. Um, in Germany, they, they, they go by the, um, IFAB rules, which don't have a clear saying on it. So, um, they treat it basically the same as a penalty. So this is, this is a gray area. I personally think the goal should not have stood when, when you look, the look the way Kramer's arms are held and then he hats the ball down, without without his hands there, he wouldn't have had the ability to control the ball a second time around. And he wouldn't have been able to score. And that's why I said earlier, right, I think Dortmund's defense was actually yes, there was a little plunder right before that cross, but I think Dortmund would have walked away for clean sheet here if it had not been for that goal. I was, I was personally very surprised that this goal stood. And please, everyone feel free to chip in on that. But for me, that was one that should not have, should not have counted.
4: Well, can, can I
2: just ask a question on the back of that, Manu, then? Yeah. Would
4: you have given Alario's goal against Schalker
2: in midweek? Well, there was a handball on that, right? Um, so, yeah, because so for no. me,
4: Okay, right, good. Yeah, then I, I agree then. Because Ilario, I think there was a very, very faint handball in his goal. Um, But ultimately, it helped him control the ball. And ultimately, I think that allowed him to score. Yeah. You know, he's still got a lot of work to do, but I would have chalked that one off. And so I'm with you on the Kramer one as well. I know it's a back goal, but I actually agree with you. I think it should have been chalked off.
2: I mean, it's the hand position, Kramer's hand position. With, let's see, let's say it hits him somewhere on the arm, right? And then he has to do quite a lot of work still to get... The ball under control. But in that situation, the ball almost falls on his arms, right? He has like that big bunny arms, let's call it that, right? And the ball falls onto those arms and then significantly slows down on the way down. And I think if that doesn't happen, he doesn't get control of the ball. That's just the way I see it. And I think, I mean, it's such, I, I realize it's such a big gray area, but I almost like the ruling that you have in other leagues where they say if he controls the ball with his hand, the goal can't stand.
3: Yeah, but that, technically that's, that's a misapplication of law, isn't it? Because yeah. the directive is, it's got to be a clear and deliberate act of, of movement hand towards the ball. I, it all goes back. I mean, if you go way back, you remember, um, Aubameyang's goal for Dortmund, where he comes off his arm and goes in. Now that shouldn't yeah. have never accounted uh, for me because that his arms in an unnatural position and he gains an advantage from that. This one, um, And maybe on the fence on a little bit because okay, he's jumped, but I find it hard, and this is when I find it hard when players get um, penalised for a foul when they go up for a header. You cannot jump like a salmon with your arms by your side. You need to have your hands out somewhere. And for this particular one, you know, he's straight on and he he jumps up and the ball comes off his head onto his hands, but I don't I can't say that they're in an unnatural position. And I certainly don't think it's a deliberate act of, of a movement of the hand towards the ball. So, I mean, it's 50-50. Uh, but maybe we're going to have to, you know, the people who run the game, the International Football Association Board, IFAB, are going to have to look at maybe handball becomes a, um, a true offence like offside. You're either offside mm. or not. There's no grey area. So either the ball touches your hand and it's classed as handball or not. That's maybe the only way that there's going to be you know, a significant line in the Sandy. I think everybody's uh, well used to the fact now that if your nose is offside, you're offside. doesn't matter. You can be an inch offside. You're offside. If the ball touches your hand, maybe that's handball. Maybe this deliberate, maybe accidental doesn't need to come into it anymore. The game's played at such a pace, um, but there's like, you know, 30 games. no, it's better. It's like 35 cameras around the stadium, which will cover it from every single angle. So the referee's got no chance really of, of getting something like this right. Um, but it's one of those where if it goes against you, you're livid. But if it goes for you, you're going, oh, OK, yeah, mm-hmm. these things, you know, happen time and time again. It wasn't like a, it's not like a Maradona where his hands out deliberately or he, he puts his hand out and the, and the ball dinks it. And it's an intellectual position and he finishes with his foot. It It's a 50-50 for me that. But I think I can understand why it was definitely given.
4: But I could have understood why it was chalked off if not. Yeah. Well that's it, I think it's uh, the ambiguity of the application of the laws actually is proven by the fact that VAR didn't jump in here because they didn't deem it a clear and obvious error. Because if it if the if, if there was no ambiguity when it came to the application of the laws, they could have been able to say whether it was or was not a clear and obvious error. But they decided not to act. So I think that's very telling.
2: Yeah, I think what bothers me is that grey area that we have of the handball, period, right? The, I like what Michael Zorc said, and he said after the game, maybe I'm too old to understand it. Um, so that is, I guess, we'll, we'll be able to discuss this, um, forever until they come up with a definite rule and say, maybe then if, if any handball was in a play, then a goal can't stand. And maybe that is the way we have to handle the situation.
4: Well, yeah, but also, I mean, the point I was trying to make as well is how are we as fans meant to deal with the ambiguity of this when referees seem unsure of it as well?
2: Yeah, that's that's a hard one. I mean, that's why we have that's Uh, one of the reasons why we love this game, so we can discuss it uh, forever and ever, right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) And I know the the um, the IFAB are looking at changing at the end of this season when they sit in consultation, you know, with the. with the four UK home nations, and they sit down, they look at the rules of the game. They are looking at whether to take out this deliberate, is it a deliberate act? Hmm. And then they're going to put it through, is it a natural position? Well, that's just swapping one subjective opinion for another. So I think even if they do take out the word deliberate, and then we'll just start talking about, well, is that unnatural? Well, maybe that's the way he jumps. So that is a natural position from his arm. We're going to be talking about the same things, um, just maybe a little differently come next season.
1: Yeah, there's always going to be plenty to talk about with football, isn't there? Whether it's VAR, VAR, handballs, or God knows what. But we're going to move on. We're going to leave that for now, because I think we could just spend a whole podcast talking about it on its own. We're going to talk about Bayern. So, Bayern, I'm well, have been pretty good of of late, it has to be said. Winning five on the bounce. They won midweek uh, against RB Leipzig. And then Nico Kovac beat his former side in Frankfurt. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit uh, about them off the field. Um, they're trying to do a bit of business to to bring in Lucas Hernandez uh, from Atletico Madrid, the 22-year-old French defender. Um, James, um, what exactly do you know about uh, Lucas uh, Hernandez and... Is this a move in the right direction
4: for Bayern? Oh, well, I mean, I think if you were anyone that watched the World Cup uh, during the summer, then you'll know who Lucas Hernandez is and the fact that he impressed with France as they went on to win the World Cup. And it seems like he's very highly regarded uh, in Atletico Madrid circles as well. And to be honest, when I've seen Atletico play, he has been one of the most impressive performers. I think it's a very interesting move for Bayern because it shows that they are firstly getting to grips with the new age transfer market. Um, they're also dipping into younger players and there is the potential, of course, that Benjamin Pavard could be uh, a partner for Hernandez if they want to use that as a centre-back pairing or just have a bit of French flair in their back line. It doesn't really matter. So I just think it shows that Bayern... I, I think the reason this has come out now and the reason probably Bayern have let it come out is because they are under pressure to deliver big-name money signings right now after not... Proving active in the summer transfer window and then receiving a lot of criticism for an aging squad. And I know we'll talk about Frank Rubri and the fact that he is belittling those criticisms right now. But the, the Hernandez move is a very positive one for me uh, in Bayern, in, from Bayern's perspective. And I think he will just be the first block of dominoes that will set that will be set to fall this
2: summer.
1: Manu, how close is this deal from being done? What type of money are we talking about?
2: Well, a deal is not done until the guy shows up at the press conference holding up the shirt, right? Um, but when you read between the lines, Carlines Romaniga statements is uh, what he say. Thankfully they have exit clauses in Spain that make it a little bit easier to deal with transfers like that, right? So that suggests to me. That Bayern are more than willing to trigger the release clause that is 80 to 85 million euros, depending um, who you who you have read, who you've listened to. Um, I've spoken to someone in Munich, and they said it it looks like Bayern will get will get this done uh, one way or another. Now there's two options on the table. One option is they go they do it January first. So what they will have to do, they will have to go to the um Spanish FA and deposit the exit clause, right? And that will essentially make um Hernandez contract property of Bayern Munich. Um, it, it appears that they have already agreed with Hernandez himself. Um, the other option is of course they can go to Atletico now uh, as of January 1st and say, look, he wants to come to us. You got two options. Either he's coming to us January 1st for 85 million or we negotiate this deal down, let's say, $60 million, and we, we're going to leave him with you until the end of the season. Um I think there's pro and contrast for that. I think that we all know who Bayern got in, in the Champions League, in the next round of the Champions League. Um, there's a lot of people on this podcast I know that have big interest in that game. And I think Bayern are under a lot of pressure to do something right away because of the fixture against Liverpool. And because when you look at the current squad, I... I the current squad in current form, yes, they just won two games. We'll get to talk about them in a moment. I, I think might be a little stretched against a very dynamic Liverpool side. So they need someone like Hernandez to help them in defense. And they might need someone else in attack as well to just give them that little bit of an edge. Because, you know, we, we, we talk about the Frankfurt game, Serge Canabri and Koman were the, the two best players in recent weeks. And both of them are struggling with injuries again. So I can see them maybe doing something in that department as well. But yeah, this is basically where they are with Hernandez. And um I I think of course Atletico will do everything in their power to prevent this deal, but it looks like um from what you hear like Bayern seem very confident that they get this deal done one way or another.
3: Look, everybody knows that you pull Salah Mane Firmino on the seventeenth and you break the world record transfer yeah. on the nineteenth,
2: you're worried. Yeah.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, but it's Very true. Much. I
2: mean, Chris, you're absolutely one hundred percent right. I mean this is this is no coincidence. I mean
1: that that
3: <laughs> reeks of shit. Look what we pulled. Um what 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 have we got at the back? No one. Quick, go out and buy someone.
4: Yeah. The, the idea of Hummels, Boateng, and Zuler up against Liverpool's front three is um, delectable, dependent on which uh, perspective you're coming from.
3: Yeah, yeah but I, I mean, I, I, I mean, this is a tremendous move. If you look, it's going to almost double what they paid before. If if indeed this deal goes through, which you know, as you both have said, clubs can either snip these sort of transfers in the bud or they can allow them to run. And I think Bayern have definitely allowed this one to run and. Yeah, they do need a centre-back. How many times have we talked about it? James, you've obviously talked about it lots of times. They do need um, a centre-back because on current form, Suler I think, has been playing wonderful, but he needs a partner he can depend on. And I don't yeah. think he can either depend on Boateng or Hummels at the moment. But if Hernandez comes in, all of a sudden that back four looks a lot better. Um, and further up the pitch, Bayern haven't had any problems recently. And I think the way they've gone about that, um can, can show us why maybe they're looking at strength or in the back. The um I mean look at Ajax. The Ajax game again was another advertisement mm-hmm. for you know defending and, and a defense. So it's gonna be interesting to see where this one goes. And Manu, I think you're quite right. I, I mean that's how Neymar. the deal for Neymar was done wasn't it? The um the country of Qatar just um deposited two bazillion pounds in the Spanish mm-hmm. FA's um bank account and next thing he's off. So I think Bayern will probably be interested to do that straight away, but it's whether, it's whether they do or not. It's it certainly... Go against everything that I've read and heard about that um, Honus and um, Rubenegger have talked about for the past two, three, four seasons. But at some point, you've got to catch up. There's no, as they say, you know, there's no pockets in the shroud. You can't take that money away with you if they've got it. And by everything we've been led to believe, Bayern are exceptionally cash rich. Mm And they need to go out and spend it because at the moment, you know, they're behind Dortmund and they're looking a bit fragile in the Champions League at times. Just about got past AEK at once. Um, let's not even talk about Benfica because I think they were poor. And then Ajax proved a, a real test. Well, this next round and any potential rounds after that, they're going to need a, a stable back line. I nearly said strong and stable then, but we should avoid that phrase. <laughs>
4: No, I mean, the, the one last point to make about that is that uh, even this release clause, 80 to 85 million, depending on what you read, that is a deal for a 22-year-old World Cup winner who is regarded as one of the, the best young centre-backs in the world right now. And so Bayern are dipping into the big value transfer market that they've tried to avoid, but they're still doing it in a most Bayern-savvy way.
2: Yeah, it is yeah, a typical and sometimes Bayern
3: You've got to spend that money, and this isn't an English football podcast. But Liverpool splashed out exceptionally big on Virgil Van Dijk, and he sorted the defence out, you know, pretty much single-handedly. So if Bayern can do that, if um, Hernandez has the same sort of effect on Bayern's Bundesliga play, you know, we could see this six points get cut to three, get cut to two. They might even, you know, get over a, a negative swing. And as we get to the real business end, and we've got a, a proper proper title fight come the back end of April.
2: Yeah, and guys, they have the money. I did an article for Forbes on how much money Bayern have, and look, their revenue was 657 million euros this year.
3: Was that a very, really, really quick article? Did he just say a lot, full stop? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have a lot of money. Um, I basically wrote that. That's a thousand-word article. I basically did that, uh, repeated that um, ten times. No, but they have, they have a ton of money, and. the the revenue last year was 657 million euros and they haven't run a deficit in about 15 years. So that money's just been building and building and building. They don't have to share with anyone because they don't have shareholders, right? They're not owned by anyone. That money is just sitting in a bank account. And it's kind of like, as you said, what are they going to do with it? Is is it just going to rot there in, in some bank vault or are they actually finally going to spend it? Because they're going to make money again next year. And even if they have a big money signing, there's four or five big-name players that are going to probably leave the squad, right? So that salary all becomes available as well. So they have to eventually do something with it. And so 85 million euros sounds like a lot for Bayern because it will break not only the world record transfer fee for a defender, but it will also double what they've spent, as you said, Chris. But, I, I mean, what else are they going to do with it, right?
1: Well, the, James, I suppose you always talk about... um you know, Hernandez coming in. What exactly does it mean for someone like you know Mats Hummels? You know, it is his time at Bayern coming to an end. Well, I think
4: oh, it's it. This is a tough one to judge from the outside, but it seems like Boateng and Hummels have both lost a lot of faith um this season and I think it's just a sign that they are looking to the future because they realize they've got an aging squad and the back line hasn't helped itself this season because they haven't produced the level of performances that a we've been accustomed to and b that Bayern demand they have looked fragile they have looked vulnerable and Zula has been the lone bright spark so Hummels and Boateng are almost having to face up almost like a fair few of the world cup squad in in Germany ranks have had to that they're not they don't quite have the stature that they thought they did um, on the back of the World Cup win five years ago, you know, uh, four years ago. So it's an interesting one that they're having to get used to. I think Hummels will stay at Bayern. I think he's just going to have to get used to a different role. I don't think he's necessarily going to be the the game in game out starting player. I think there's going to be a little more of a healthy rotation with Kovach. And let's be honest. If you're Hummels and you've got Pavar if you've got Hernandez and you've got Sula, you've got some wonderful players to work with and nurture yourself as an elder statesman in the group. So I think Hummels has still got a role at that club. It's whether his ego can settle for that role.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, Manu, if, if we talk about other possible uh, players that may come in, uh, I mean, Timo Werner's one that we, we've heard plenty of, but you know, those possible, uh, news reports, uh, whether they're true or not, um, seem to continue. Um, but also, um, Kai Havertz, um, from Leverkusen, he's now being linked as well. I mean, do you see there being a, any possibility of these players coming in? Maybe not in January, but in the summer.
2: Timo Werner's given another interview that, um, uh, leave many in Germany baffled. Um, I, I, I think there's many ways you can, interpret the interview he's given uh and I know Chris we've spoken off air a little bit about this he said um we did indeed (laughs) we did indeed because Timo Werner is not the best when it comes to interviews this is uh something that we've noticed before Um he you can interpret it that that either in Germany there's only one club that you want to play for and that club could be Bayern or you can interpret it that if he wants to stay in Germany then it will be only at Leipzig um I, I'm not sure. I know that Bayern are very interested in Timo Werner, and I know that they would like to get a deal for him done like it is the case with Lucas Hernandez sooner rather than later because their big worry is that by next summer, there will be a bunch of clubs from all over the world coming in um to try to get the striker, get Timo Werner to sign for them, and that will will mean a price war. And they buy And you know, James, he already said it. They're very astute when it comes to, they try to get the deals done early because it's their own money. It's money that they had to generate. They can't just dip in some oligarch's pocket to, or um, like the PSG do and just ask Qatar for a bunch of money. They have to make that money themselves. So they are trying to get this deal done sooner rather than later um if they want to get a done for Werner. But if they really want to get him done, then they're looking for it for maybe even this winter Um because they expect that he will be just too expensive next summer because a bunch of clubs will then try to sign him unless or maybe Leipzig is even able to renew his contract. But yeah, um that interview um leaves the door wide open for speculations.
1: And Chris, if we go back, back to uh, the performances on the field a good 3-0 victory against uh, Eintracht uh, for Bayern. It, it puts them now to six points behind Dortmund going into the winter break. Gives them a little bit more hope, this uh, this run of games that they've had recently.
3: Yeah, they've been very good recently. Um, and Yeah, with Dortmund slipping up the other night, I think Bayern would have hoped that maybe Gladbach could have done them a favour and, and picked up you know a positive result there, either a win or a draw, but it, it didn't happen. But yeah, Bayern are looking a lot a lot better. they um they certainly look more of a happy side. If you see them after their goal celebration, I was um f- I'm gonna use the word fortunate. I was fortunate enough to watch their Christmas celebrations I was left on the Bundesliga World Feed the other night. So watch that. And they, you know, after they came out against their um against their, their final home game, the midweek game, they looked very happy. They were all laughing and smiling and hugging and Nico Kovac looked happy, everybody looked happy. Um, And I mentioned that in the three thoughts after. I mean, and that is a polar opposite. If we look to October where, you know, nobody was happy. Just a little bit after that, there was even Instagram posts from footballers' wives about, you know, their players, their husbands not being happy. And that looks a little bit of a distant memory. I'm pretty sure this winter pause has probably come at the wrong time for Bayern. Um, they maybe wanted a couple more matches under their belt at this time of year to see how Dortmund get on and to see if they can maybe cut that lead a little bit. But yet, yeah, all set up for when we come back. And the only thing that worries me, and I've said this loads and loads of times, and I'll say it again, is um, Frank Ribbery is 35, and and he's played wonderfully the last two games. Um, Muller is, you know, intrinsic to this system. That Kovac has maybe come across the last couple of weeks. He's 29 um, you know, Lewandowski's, um, he's 30. So if there's going to come to a point, maybe the back end of the season, late winter, early spring, where some of these players, if they're playing so much, when we come back might start to get a little bit leggy. That's my only concern. I've got, um, Bryce, unless the, the younger players they've got like, um, Coleman and Gnabry can really come in and, and step up to the level that the older statesmen are shown at the moment.
2: Yeah.
1: James, you, Chris just mentioned it. Um, Ribery's had a fantastic um, last few games, hasn't he? And he scored three in his last two. Um, uh, 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 you know, people keep talking about you know him and uh, Robin. You're know, fizzling out, really, not being the players they they used to be. But he's, he's he's out to prove a few people wrong at the moment, isn't
4: he? Yeah, it's funny with with Frank Ribery. I mean, it, it, you can't not be a fan of what he's done throughout his career. But when it comes to his personality traits there there have been some questions asked throughout his career now, why I mention that is I find it fantastic that when it came to the the siege mentality that Bayern started to employ when they were being heavily criticised by the media and there was that press conference with Ernest and Rummenigge and Sally Hamadjic talking about respect and all this type of stuff. They have banded together in light of that adversity and they do have this siege mentality. And if anyone embodies that more than anyone else at Bayern, it's Frank Ribéry because this guy loves a battle. He loves a war and he loves to prove people wrong. Um, and that is exactly what he is doing this season is his veteran status with some incredible performances. But he is just a fighter at heart. And that's what we see in these performances. And that's why, despite his age, he's still producing these types of performances. So it's wonderful to see. And let's be honest, Ribery and Robin can still do a job for Bayern. It's just that Bayern have very high expectations. And these guys cannot be expected to meet those expectations on a week-in, week-out basis anymore at their age.
1: No, definitely not. And I think Chris was right in saying as well that the uh, winter break has just come at the wrong time for Rebury and and the Barbarians there. Um, Manu, we're going to go to you about the uh, next topic. Uh, talk about your uh, favorite side, uh, Bayern Leverkusen, Liverpool's <laughs> and eh? Um, so things obviously haven't went that well for them this year. And yeah, they finally, uh, Changed their coach, haven't they? Um, even though they won 3 1 um, at the weekend, beating at Hertha Berlin, um, Herlich uh, is no longer in his position uh, come Sunday morning. And yeah, who has been brought in? Unbelievable. Uh,
2: I'm never going to hear the end of that. Either. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a prediction. We've all been on. there, Manu. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, Thirteen points out of the last six games is pretty good. Um, so you are
1: clutching at straws. No better time.
2: <laughs> no better time. Just, you think just, uh, not even
3: plastic out. straws, soggy paper straws.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it also, adds to the question: Why did they get rid of that uh, Nye? Eh? Um, and yeah. yeah, I was waiting for you to break it. Um, who did they bring in, Manu?
2: Yeah, they brought in Peter Bosch. Um, I- I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, because. We all remember what happened the last time Peter Bosch signed in the Bundesliga. I think his, I think he, he, at Ajax, he, he was fantastic. The, the side that reached the Europa League final, of course, right? Um, with a lot of very young talent. Um, on the other hand, he didn't win the league. Um, and he didn't win the Eredivisie. Um, so. And in the Netherlands, you can play attacking football. You can get away with it much more than you can in the Bundesliga and that transition. And we had many, we have a history of Dutch coaches and especially the attacking minded ones that were fantastic in the Netherlands. When they made the jump to Germany, really struggled, um, with, with the difference. I think the, one of the fews that came in was Hoop Stevens, of course. And Hoop Stevens, uh, I mean, if he could play with 12 defenders, he would. So he had a very different mindset from, from than many other Dutch coaches had. So it's really interesting that, um, Leverkusen went with Peter Bosch. They, of course, signed, wanted to sign Peter Bosch, um, that summer that Dortmund signed him. They were interested in him as well. I'm not a hundred percent sure if he is the right signing, though. Um, I mean, this, this is, this, the timing is, in one way is the timing is really perfect for them because they now have a winter break where they can prepare on the other hand, they have just collected thirteen points out of the last six games. That's a pretty good average, and they are only three points behind where they were last year and um, when you take the point total so they have they actually seem to have recovered so on that one on that hand i I think it's poor timing on the other hand i mean if you're making a coaching change, this is the time you do it and then I'm really questioning whether Peter Bosch is the guy that will bring, um, that will ensure that Leverkusen, I mean, (laughs) the thing that ultimately got Herrlich is that they won some games 5-0, like the cup game against Gladbach, and then lost others 3 or 4-0 to teams like Leipzig. Uh, I I, I mean, I struggle to see Peter Bosch being the guy that will bring defensive stability to Bayer Leverkusen. That's just my personal opinion. And I'm really curious to hear what Chris, I mean, you, for example, you were a close observer of what he did at Dortmund, um, defensive stability is not something he'd added to that side.
3: That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're not in all seriousness. I, I think it's, it is the right decision. Um, I think a, manage, a, a head coach change was needed. I just really, and I said this two weeks ago, I really think they missed um, a trick by not snapping up Ralph um Hasenhutl when they had the chance. Now, maybe they may have spoken to him and he turned the decision down because he wanted, you know, the whole year off as a sabbatical and he changed his mind once he saw um Southampton's proposition and, and the bright lights and money of the Premier League. But I think that would have been a, a better fit. I mean, maybe Peter Bosch is gonna come in and, and change everybody's um lasting opinion of him, but I mean you'd right, they do need defensive stability and and I certainly didn't see that once um, sides figured out the way his Dortmund side was playing. Because let's not forget, they did start the season quite well. But once sides figured out how they could get around, you know, that sort of fast football they were playing, and, and you know, they wilted quite quickly. So it's going to be a real um, a real challenge for him. Obviously, he thinks he can do it or he wouldn't have come back and those at Bayer Leverkusen who are in charge think that he's got the ability to do it, it's going to be interesting. But if he doesn't get off to a flyer when they come back, I think he could be under a lot of pressure early on. And I mean, one thing that I did notice, especially this last match day, is that you know the players who maybe haven't stepped up to the plate of, of last started playing really, really well. Um, Avertez we all know, um, OK, he got a bit of a, a lucky goal. And at some point, we should probably talk about the fact of, of those you know three horrendous goalkeeping and defensive errors that littered this match day but um yeah he played well Union Brandt played well Voland looks a lot better he was looking maybe he'd been in a bit of dip of form um 6 to 8 weeks ago um and, and Bailey's looking a lot better and I don't know if the players knew he was going after this game but this particular match day they looked a hell of a lot better than I've seen recently and and maybe that was because they knew they wanted to give him a, a final swan song because he was on his way out but yeah, Peter Bosch fills me with dread for Leverkusen because I don't quite think he's going to be the coach to take them um, out of the, the fight that we're in at the moment because they lose a couple when they come back, you know, they're straight back into the, the wrong end of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, James, um, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this as well. I mean, is is Bosch the right man? Um, you know, the two um, other fellas here seem to suggest it's probably not the ideal coach for the role. Uh, but also, I mean, the timing was um, a little bit funny after they had looked a bit better recently, hadn't they? I can understand it from a uh, winter break perspective, but you know, the results surely are the, are the things that talk, right?
4: Well, this is it. I, I commentated the the game uh, yesterday yesterday for the Bundesliga world feed. And what I found fascinating about this situation with Herrlich was that it was just a couple of weeks ago after the draw with Nuremberg that Rudy Fuller had said, basically, I'm demanding eight or nine points from the last four games. And the fact is, they got nine points from the last four games. So I find it strange that Rudy Fuller actually publicly has gone back on his word by letting Herlich go, despite actually meeting the demands that he set. Now, I do agree that Haerlich being, uh, being let go is the right decision for Bayer Leverkusen. I agree with the lads on Peter Bosch, where it's not convincing. I just looked it up really quickly, but we talked about the impressive start that Dortmund had to the season uh, last year, and they won, what, six of their first seven. But it was in the six games after that they conceded 18 goals. And I know they had Leipzig, Bayern and Schalke in there, but that is still a stupidly bad record for a side like Dortmund who had the players they had last season. So, no, I'm not convinced that Bosch is going to come in and sort the defensive frailty. What I'm questioning is whether he can produce the attacking performances we know from Leverkusen where it actually offsets their need for defensive stability. Um, he's got players that are very exciting at his disposal, um, and I, for one, will be interested to see what he does with this squad, but I'm not convinced he's going to rescue their bid for a top-six finish this season.
2: The one thing I might want to add, and this, this is maybe, and this is this is a big maybe, and lots of ifs and buts, but Lucien Favre, and you probably remember this, James, uh, his ter- first time in Hertha, um He didn't leave Hertha on the best note either, right? And got a second chance at Gladbach and did a lot better there. Um, he learned from his previous mistakes because fundamentally Bosch's foot, the ideas that uh, Bosch brings to the table, the style of football he wants to play, they're good. Uh, There's good ideas there. Um, the question for me is, has he learned from the mistakes he's made at Dortmund and that is maybe the one thing that that, that, that the one positive thing if you are by a Leverkusen fan yeah no it's... I would
4: agree with that I think I think it is a, a case of yes has he has he learned those lessons from the, his time with Dortmund Um and I like the fact that Leverkusen are willing to give him a chance because I, I say that and it's just strange because if they were willing to give him a chance why not just stick with Herrlich at least for now, given that there was an upswing in results. They have made it through top of their group in the Europa League. The the problem was, I I think the real reason behind this and the reason he's been let go is that these results recently were in spite of Herrlich, not because of him. Um, I think he doesn't quite have the tactical nous that they were expecting. I think his demeanour with the players has been criticised in the press as well. So I think there were a lot of factors working against Herrlich. And let's be honest, Peter Bosch was able to get the best out of his Dortmund side in those opening seven games of the season. It was just a case of Things caught up with him and he didn't adapt. So if that is the lesson that he learned from that and he can apply that with Leverkusen, I think that's a good thing. This is why I'm saying that I'm not convinced it's going to save their top six bid because I don't think he's got enough time in the second half of the season to do exactly what he needs to do with this team to get them into a top six finish. I think he needs at least half half a season to transition and then maybe
2: next season we can talk about them pushing back Mm. into the European place. Short winter break this year too. Oh yeah. Only four weeks. That's not a lot of time.
1: We'll have to see what he can do with those four weeks, aren't we? Um, it'll be interesting to see. But, um, guys, uh, we've been asked, um, by somebody on uh, Twitter to do some uh, mid-season awards. And so, so here we are. I, I feel we're going to have to do a player, a team, and possibly a personality, um, that you would like to highlight and think that they're deserving of this award uh, Chris um, le- let's go to you first I mean is it going to be as obvious as Dortmund and Sancho oh well I would
3: I'm stuck between Sancho and Marco Royce because I think a, a fit healthy Marco Royce is what's propelling Dortmund to where they are at the minute I think he's the ticking heartbeat of that team he, he, knows, he knows dressing room inside out I think he's a leader on the pitch he's a leader off the pitch so um, I may Hand my player um, award to him. Team, I'm I'm going to go with Dortmund because they've um, they've come in to the season and they they started excellently and you know they should be in inverted commas a team under transition, new manager, new players, etc. They haven't they they've stepped up to that and um, to make it a full clean sweep for Dortmund, personality wise, I'm going to go for Jaden Sancho because he's a young, exciting. Um, teenager and you know you see him in interviews not just on the television but you see him in interviews in a mix zone and and also um, he did a very very good interview for the Dortmund magazine for the fixture I was there for against Hertha Berlin and it gave a really good insight into his personality so unfortunately for nobody of a Dortmund persuasion I've probably ruined their Christmas by going for a full sweep.
1: (laughs) Yes indeed well Let's go to James then before we uh, go over to you, uh, Manu. Uh, Who would your uh, player of the season so far be?
4: Now, look, I mean, firstly, Chris has just stolen my thunder on the personality one. I'll come to that in a second. Um, But... When it came to the player, I was thinking about this before. It's ridiculously difficult to pick out one player. Um, I was tempted by Sebastian Allaire because I like his story arc and his performances in the first half of the season over the course of the whole first half of the season have genuinely surprised me. If I'm talking about surprise, Jonas Hoffman is the player that has surprised me the most. But I have to go for Marco Royce when it's my player because, you know, aside from his 11 goals and six assists, what he's doing um, with this squad is incredible. To see him at the forefront of a genuine title charge from Dortmund and fulfilling the role of captain as if he was born to do it and then dazzling with his dynamism in the final third, for me, that has been the highlight of the season so far and long may it continue. Um, to take a less pe- popular route with the team, I'm going to throw Wolfsburg out there. I commentated their game uh, today against Augsburg and it was a thrilling fixture uh, to end 2018 for both sides. Wolfsburg did come away with the win, but... I think it's just fantastic to see that after they went through years of play to a reputation they no longer deserved and buying players that didn't fit the stature they thought they had, they were deservedly brought crashing back down to earth. But now they seem to have moved out of the shadow of the successful era. They're back in form. Bruno Labadea is having a bit of redemption there as well. Their football isn't pretty, but it's purposeful and positive. Um, and so I, I like, I like what I'm seeing from Volsberg. And let's be honest, the fact that they're finishing in fifth at the, fir- at the end of the first half of the season is for me the biggest surprise of the season so far. And then I was going to say Sancho for the personality as well. And because I can't scramble off the top of my head quite so quickly, I'm not going to throw another name out there, but I picked him for personality. I thought I was taking a different route to the way everyone else would, but it turns out that Chris did the exact same thing, which is fine. It's all good. Um, but yeah, he's, he expresses himself on the pitch. He is. It is purest, uh, his purest personality is seen when he's got the football at his feet. And that is wonderful to see.
1: Some fine answers there, James. Very good. Even though you stole one or two from me, which I thought I was going oh. left field, but oh, damn. Uh, Manu, let's go to you. Um, player of the season so far.
2: Yeah. Marco Royce, uh, 100% Marco Royce. I, I saw the interview with him um, yesterday on ZDF, the, the German state television station and, He's just so confident right now. His long forgotten his days where he drove without a driver's license. He's really developed into a real personality and a leader for this side. And the, the fact that he stayed in Dortmund, um, even though it was a very difficult year last year. And I think he could have had a chance to go somewhere else. The fact that he's now fit. And I, I really hope he stays fit. I really do hope that he is able to lead this side to a german championship i I really think that would be for a player who's missed out on so many titles and opportunities and let's remember the 2014 world cup he would have been in that side he would have played a very big role for that side uh 2018 he was one of the few german players who did their jobs um knowing that this could be the last chance for him to win the german championship with with the with the team of his hometown I think that would be amazing. And he has done everything in the, in the Hinrunde to guarantee that. I think if he's not healthy, this side will be in a lot of trouble. Jaden Sancho here, Jadon Sancho there. I think that is, he's been the key. So he's my player of the Hinrunde. Team of the Hinrunde, uh, Dortmund is kind of the obvious choice. So I'm going with someone else. I'm going to give it to Eintracht Frankfurt. The Europa League performances outstanding to win six out of six remember no german team has done that in any european competition um, that has group stage to win six out of six they've done it and they have done it in a very difficult group of marseille and lazio Um so i really was impressed by that and i was also really impressed by the fans and the, the way the fans carried this team they're really good advertising for the europa league a competition that i feel is not getting enough attention at times. And um, they really show that this is a competition that people should pay attention to. And I think Chris said it last week, they have a genuine chance to maybe even win this competition. So I think that'd be really, something really interesting to see. And that's actually, I want to stay with Frank for personality of the Hennel. for me, Freddy Bobic, the sporting director, to lose all those key players that won the German Cup with Frankfurt and lose Niko Kovac and then go out left field to sign Adi Hürde from Young Boys Barons, um, to bring in and identify players like Hala, Jovic, uh, Gazinovic, um, Ante Rebic, and to be able to actually keep them at this club, to build on something like that and to develop a team continuously like that um, and to have a team performing on the level they are. And Yes, they lost 3-0 to Bayern. I think um, that result was a bit high. In the end, uh, especially that third goal, the, up until the 80th minute, they were pretty much even. And remember, only 17 match days ago, they lost 5-0 to Bayern in the Super Cup. And they were nowhere near where they are now. And that's because Bobic was able to identify the right people for the right job. And he's done it now three years in a row. And for me, that makes him the personality of the Henrunde.
4: I, can I just say, I think that I love that answer. And I love the fact that Frankfurt have gotten some love, Manu. And I think you're right to point out their Europa Europa League campaign, uh because they deserve it and I actually was very close to picking them over Wolfsburg for my team mm. of the Hinrunder and actually because you said that I'll, I just want to throw a name out there for personality Danny DeCosta yeah because if you didn't see the interview he did yeah. with himself after the yeah. Europa League game against Limassol I think you need to you need to go watch it it was absolutely fantastic and it showed personality he's a wonderful guy I interviewed him for UEFA and I just thought that was a wonderful moment so
2: and he's a very good player. I mean, that's another guy that Bobic went out for, got him, and, um, he's, he's, I, I think he's on his way to the national team. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I don't understand why Leibekusen let him go. Yeah.
1: Well, guys, I'm going to weigh in with my choices. As I said, I would try and be a little bit left field, but my player of the first half of the season was Someone James has already mentioned. Yes, we, we've mentioned Sancho and Royce, and yes, they fully deserve it. But I'm going to go Sebastian Haller, who has uh, yes. contributed. To, yeah, he's co- contributed towards 17 goals um, yeah. so far this season, which is half. That's right, half of Frankfurt's goals in the league. So I, I think. I think a lot of people wouldn't have seen this coming, so um, I think he deserves a, a bit of a shout-out. Um, team, I was going to go for Wolfsburg as well. I, I can't believe that they've done as, as well as, as they actually have. Also, I feel a little bit bad because I had them down to do rather poorly um, in my uh, pre-season uh, predictions, so I, I feel a little bit bad there. Uh, personality, i got to go for Pizarro. He scored it again this season and yes he may not score very many goals but he's still turning up every season and he's scoring and he's now 40 years old and I think I think that shows um a lot of heart and he's meant to be a very nice guy so um, I'm gonna go for those three but um guys that more or less does it doesn't it we, we've, we've got halfway through the season I suppose the only thing left to do is to go to James and just say are Dortmund gonna win the league
4: oh um put me on the spot um yes I think I think they've got enough about them to hold on to this. I think Bayern will drop points in the second half of the season and while they do sniff blood right now I don't think it's going to be enough. I I I would I I have faith. I have faith in Borussia Dortmund that finally we're going to see a title race that ends with out Bayern winning the title.
1: Fantastic stuff. Yes, I think it would be healthy for the Bundesliga, wouldn't it? But um guys before we say um have a great Christmas to each other. Um, James, is there anything you would like to uh, draw people's attentions to um, online?
4: Uh, I mean, look, I, I work for bundesliga.com. I work on the DFL World feed for commentaries. I'd love you to tune in if you can. I just don't know where it's available. Uh, I'm at Deutsche Vela as well, and I'm Schalke's. And Frankfurt's reporter for UEFA. So if you're in the match centre at any point, then thank you for joining me. Uh, those are really the only things. I, I would just say that I, I would want to say, um, having been on the show, it's a pleasure to have been on. Um I think you guys do a fantastic job at what you do in covering the Bundesliga, and I appreciate that. And let's be honest, this is one of the best seasons we've had to cover in a long time. And I'm so excited for the second half of the season. But I am just a little bit more excited for a four-week break, if I'm honest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, I, I would say that there's probably a few guys on this podcast that would agree with that as well. James, um, thank you very much for coming on and your kind words. Manu, um, I would imagine that the Football Grand Network is not going to be that quiet over the Christmas period, even though the Bundesliga is coming to a pause.
2: Yeah, I usually use this time of the year to write a, a couple of features that I've meant to write um, for for some time. So. There will be stuff going happening. I can't tell you exactly what yet, but there will be, be stuff regularly published on there. And, um, you can find my work. Um, I ter- joined Forbes, um, at the beginning of the month. I'm doing their Bundesliga coverage. So you can find, find me on Forbes.com as well.
1: And Chris, um, apart from eating yourself silly, which you were telling us, uh, about before the podcast came on, what have you got going on in the next few weeks that you'd maybe like to draw people's attention to?
3: Uh, well, there's a bit of a Bundesliga pause, um, as as we all know. I will be hopefully getting to do some feature writing um, for FootballStat.com. Uh, you can find me still working over the Christmas period. It's Christmas Eve tomorrow, as we record this, Bryce. But I'm up at seven o'clock in the morning for a Liverpool Wolves recap and a Liverpool Newcastle preview with the uh, Radio City in Liverpool tomorrow morning. So no sleep, um, no sleeping, and for me. Um, I'd also like to thank James for coming on because it's yeah. brilliant. Because I listen to James all the time, have done when he's been on Talking Football, have done because I'm very lucky enough to get the Bundesliga World feed. So I listen to his commentary all the time. So James, thank you for coming on. Um, and I'd also like to wish a happy Christmas to Hanover 96, um, because their coach Andre Brighton Writer said that if they didn't pick up three points on this match day, they'd be training over Christmas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great out. Chris. Apparently I'm that sure got cancelled.
2: <laughs> apparently he went back on his word
1: oh, don't ruin the magic <laughs> well, what a scrooge what an absolute scrooge eh? um, guys that does it um for uh, the uh, podcast um for the first half of the season but we will not be taking a four-week break we will uh, be back but maybe not just as regular as uh normal um so you will hear from us all rather soon but um yeah we we at the Football Grad Network uh, and on the podcast would like to wish you um, a great Christmas. Uh, thanks for tuning in, as always. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn 11 And until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Ich war seit Wochen
0: auf diesen Tag. Und Tanz vor Freude über den nassfalten als wär's ein Rhythmus als gäb's sein Lied das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht komm dir entgegen ich hab zu holen It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?